this past week. We had an awesome move of God on the federal level. I hope that all of you feel that way. Because the Supreme Court moved mightily in the will and the purpose of God to save lives, to save us from the destruction of making our babies pass through the fire. When they overturned Roe v. Wade as a federal thing, they gave the states the freedom to make the right choices. Thus far, uh, how many states, do you know how many states yet? At least five states immediately enacted trigger laws. Missouri was the first. And if you didn't see it, Miss Adrian put a Facebook post on that you need to listen to. I shared it and others have shared it as well. Because the opposers have begun to spout lies in saying that all of us who are pro-life <clears throat> are only pro-life for the sake of no abortion, but we're not pro-life when it comes to taking care of the baby. Nothing's further from the truth. The crisis we have in our nation right now are laws and regulations allowing adoptions to be stymied in courts over nonsense, over money, over ridiculous regulation and rules, and they're holding back adoptions from well-loving and well-meaning people who would be great parents and would adopt multiple amounts of children if they only had the money to get through the system, wherein there should never be money involved in that system to allow children to be adopted and cared for. <clears throat> Not to mention around, yeah, to mention, all around this country are homes for pregnant girls and women that will care for them, watch over them, see that they're healthy, make sure they're fed, walk with them through the process, be with them after the baby is born, walk with them in that manner, see that they're cared for, see that they have a future, and are walking with them day in and day out. The Christian community is the number one community in the world that is saving lives, saving babies, and saving their mothers. We are the greatest advocate for pregnant moms to be healed whole, watched after, and cared for. The church, not the world, and certainly not the left. We are tired of being labeled, maligned, and lied about, and we're going to stand up 
like we never have before. And we're going to start shouting from the housetops. This is the Lord's will. It is marvelous in our eyes. And we will see His glory. And we're starting right here in Missouri and at this church. But you see, abortion wasn't the only thing. They tackled the Second Amendment thing in, was it New York? Or, yeah, in New York. And they, they buffaloed them in that deal. You get the pun, don't you? Buffalo being the capital. Okay, they buffaloed them in that deal. And they stopped that. But that isn't all that they did. They voted also in favor of breaking a rule, I think it was Maine, that hindered Christian and private schools from receiving finances from the government tax base to aid their school systems in growth and, and uh, excellence. And the Supreme Court took that on and they ruled in favor that it is unlawful for any state to withhold funds in that regard. So the next thing I see on, on Facebook, of course, Facebook is a world of wisdom. <laughs> and I saw a, a, a comment involved with it. And, uh, well, you know, Christian schools need to be very careful in taking federal money. <laughs> Let me tell you something about that. 1995, we started in a project in Tennessee to help uh, latchkey kids. By the way, I'm going to get to that word later. To help latchkey kids. And it was in collaboration with Parks and Recreation, YMCA, our church, which was Operation Home Neighborhood Ministries, and the juvenile court system. Now, they started telling us what to do since we were going to receive federal funds. So I went to them, and I told them what we're going to do. And either they keep their money, we're still going to do what we said we would do so we didn't mess up their program. Or they would give us the money and they'd keep their mouths shut, and we would do what we were supposed to do. So they said, well, we want you on board. So that program is still running today, and it started in 1995. Now, once in a while, they get some federal money, but most of the time, it's all local. But it's government money. But nobody tells them what to do or how to do anything. And we have seen thousands of kids come through that program since then and develop into wonderful young people moving in great things. So we're not going to sit back anymore. None of us. I never have been one to sit back. And so, thank God, we're going to press on. That's not the message today, but it is important that we recognize it. We look at it. And church, we are a voice crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. We are a mighty voice in this land and will not be silenced. And I can tell you this, it is scaring the daylights out of the liberal, atheistic mindset that has tried to rule. 
Now, if, if you're not familiar with a man named Tim Sheets, you need to be. And I want to encourage you, if you use YouTube, go to YouTube and pull up Tim Sheets or Oasis Church in Cincinnati, Oak Middletown, Ohio. Five or six days ago, Tim ministered a lengthy prophetic word that was absolutely on point as to where we are. It was systematically written to give direction that we can all follow. It was excellent in its uh, delivery. And God has told us and given us a plan in this hour on what's going on. One of the things Tim shared in that God said is that this wickedness, this spirit, is going to foment violence in a matter of days that will pale to anything we've seen. But it's time for the church to stand with specific decrees and positive declarations of what God has said. So what we will be doing Tuesday night is laying out some things regionally to that effect. So if you want to come, you sit back there somewhere. I don't think you can have the tacos because they're for us. But we'll have to ask Chad. Anyway, but we're going to deal with that. And we're going to talk about that. Because God has spoken. I mean spoken. And I hope that Tim's message coming from the Lord will come to an international audience. Because it's for the world. And I encourage you to look it up. And see what it is he shared with us from the Lord. Because it's, it's tremendous. Now, let's get into what God has given me. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for what you shared in my heart and what you put in my mind. I ask for physical strength to deliver it properly. I ask you to strengthen my voice to deliver it without scratchiness and interruption. And I thank you that you will use it today even to change our hearts and move us closer and closer to you. In Jesus' name. And I have missed something. Josh and Kelsey are here with this beautiful baby. Right? I mean, I know that ain't Zion, so it's got to be. And I wish I could remember his name because it's precious too. But anyway, what's his name, John? Michael Jonathan. We welcome you, Michael Jonathan, to church today. Psalms 139. Pastor, uh, a few weeks ago, was preaching on a Wednesday night, and he went to this this uh, portion of scripture, and 
I thought, well, that's interesting because it's where God was talking to me in some ways. And the next thing I know, then we get Bishop Brown last Sunday, and Bishop Brown goes through just about probably 70% of the scriptures that I already had for today's message. And I thought, well, that's interesting. But in the process of it all, what God is saying, even though it may seem repetitious, he's wanting to drive a point home. In Psalms 139, we're going to lay out the plan that God has had, and we're going to lay it out as clearly as I possibly can. Starting at verse 13 in 139, the psalmist is making this statement, and it's as if he's speaking, or God is speaking straight through him. For you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, your eyes saw my substance, yet being yet unformed. And in your book they all were written. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. Do you hear what the psalmist is saying to us? Because he's laying out what happened in creation. He's opening up to you and I an understanding of how it all began. A few weeks ago when I preached, I brought up the fact that when God created Adam, when God made Adam, he went and he opened up his arms and he laid down in the earth, on the earth. He sunk down into that earth and he made a mold. And in that mold, he brought out the man, Adam. The psalmist right here in 139 affirms that by saying, Before I was ever formed, you brought me out of the lowest parts of the earth. The first man, Adam, was a man of the flesh. The last Adam was the living spirit. The first Adam brought forth from the dust. The last Adam brought forth from the spirit. The first Adam had within him the DNA of the last Adam. The first Adam carried everything that you and I would ever be the first Adam. That first Adam's DNA structure was passed on. Then Noah came along and his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives, and they carried that same DNA through the flood into the new world. They held that DNA and they began, God began then to distribute that DNA throughout all of his creation of man. In doing so, he was letting you and I know, John 17 and 24 says, For you loved me before the foundation of the world. This is Jesus praying to the Father. And at this time, he's praying for a unity among his disciples. 
He's getting ready to go to crucifixion. He's looking at what's been happening and he's saying to us, God already knew it so he wasn't telling God something he didn't know. He was letting us know that this plan was from the beginning before creation, before man was formed. I read it to you in Psalms 139. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. Your book wrote down everything that's going to be. God, before he said the first light be, established the plan from beginning to ending. He went to the ending of it, and he knew of the wedding uh, supper of the Lamb. He knew of the great rejoicing of heaven. He knew and had the plan of the new heavens and the new earth. He knew of the destruction that would come on humanity all the way through. He knew every bit of it, and it was a completed, finished work in its writing in its writing, then he backed up to Genesis 1, and he began. And yet, in his beginning, the ending was already set. In his beginning, it was already done. So now in Ephesians 1, 4, just as he chose us in him, are you following me? Before the foundation of the world. Now, the Calvinists would go into the total predestination where you have no choice. But they're in error. He chose us in him knowing that in his way, in his plan, he knew before we chose what we would choose. But he gave us the choice to choose it. Now, that might be too much for some of your brains, but it shouldn't be because the gospel is truly simple to understand if you will just listen. So he's saying here that before the foundation of the world, he knew me. Years ago, Kenneth Copeland put a song out. When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. And I'm going to get to that. Because I think that it is critical for you and I to understand that before the foundation of the world was first spoken, you were accepted by him in the beloved. He already chose you because he knew you were going to choose him. And the countless others that will come in in this harvest are just like that. They're like the last group of people who came to the vineyard to work in the last hour of the day who received the same pay as everybody else, who walked into the same glory, walked into the same power, walked into the same heaven, filled with the same Holy Spirit. At the very last minute, somebody told me one time, well, that's like burning a candle at both ends and blowing a smoke in God's face. I'm going to tell you something, it ain't either. God ain't going to breathe your smoke. He's going to love your soul. So, 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, God was in Christ reconciling the word to himself. 
reconciliation is a wonderful thing when you consider and he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. In Romans 3, verse 21, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law. Am I three? Yeah, I'm in three. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of the law is revealed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe for there is no difference for all have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. But being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation, as a substitute, as a stand-in, as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of one who has faith in him. Now, what you need to understand from that portion of Scripture that everything about us, everything about us, you need to say everything about me is by his grace, by his blood, by his righteousness and according to his forbearance. In other words, he has put up with us forbearance. He has tolerated us. Tolerance doesn't come from the Democrat Party. Tolerance came from God. He let us live. He didn't fry us in our shoes. Which he could have easily done at any time where I'm concerned. Not to mention he had opportunity after opportunity to do so. And there were days that I thought he was going to. As a teenager, I would lay down at night knowing what my day was like. Having grown up in a very legalistic denomination. And I would go to sleep feeling in my pulse. Literally, wondering if I'd make it through the night or if judgment was going to fry me. I'm telling you the truth. Now, it's funny now, but it wasn't funny when I was a teenager laying there. That's why every time the church would have a revival, I'd get saved again. I'll bet you I could admit I've been saved more than you all. Really? I mean, every evangelist that'd come along, they'd scare hell out of me. I'd get saved and only go out after church that night and get messed up again. But by his grace, by his forbearance, and I stand in his righteousness, there's none of my own. So then we go to Isaiah 53, because we have the creation plan that we understand. I hope you understand now. God set it up before you were ever born, thought of, or considered. Before the first page was written with your name on it, God had your name. Do you understand that? Do you understand? Am I talking to people who are listening to understand? God had you covered all the way through. He chose you in himself. So it's really not about you, except that every now and then he'll give us the opportunity to choose. It's like a fellow out in East Kentucky. 
he was a, a fellow I know. He was going to pre, he was going to do a wedding, and the wedding was for a guy named. They, they, the only thing they ever called a guy was brains, and that's what he wanted to be called in the wedding ceremony. Brains was going to stand up, and he was scared to death. He wasn't going to know the thing to say. And that pastor said, I told him over and over, Brains, all you got to do is remember, I do. I do. I do. He got through, started the end of the ceremony, went through everything, did all of the stuff. Do you, do you, and he said, do you, Brains, take whatever her name is. I'm not going to say that. Do you, Brains? And Brains got down to where he had to answer. Uh, uh, and, and the fellow said, I do. Say, I do, Brains. Oh, I do. And the guy says, right answer, Brains. Once in a while, God will allow us to have the right answer and give us and call us Brains. I hope that means something to you. But that's creation. And from creation, we have to go to redemption. In Isaiah 53, Pastor Brown used this scripture last week. Who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form nor comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. In essence, you're not going to like it. But Jesus in the flesh was homely. For those who are farther south, he was ugly. He wasn't handsome. He wasn't good to look at. He wasn't any of those things. The, the European Jesus you see in the pictures isn't even close. All the other pictures are not even close. In fact, the matter is, there's no picture of Jesus that has ever been printed before or after crucifixion that is even near what he was like. This says he had no form, he had no stature, he wasn't, and, and, and nor comeliness or, nor good looks. There is no beauty that we should desire him. Then he goes on. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That sorrows and grief can also be looked upon as sickness and pain. But I want to stay with the translator's sorrow and grief, if you will. For the sake of what God has said. <clears throat> Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Wounded for our transgressions. Transgressions. What an interesting word, that word, transgressions. It means he crossed the line. He got out of bounds. Transgression means there's a limit set that has become law. And when you cross it, you transgress. If you cross a boundary line in the natural, you trespass. If you cross a boundary line of the law, you transgress. He was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. Chastisement meaning, first of all, punishment. Secondly, setting the boundaries. Hemming us in, if you will. But... And by his stripes we are healed. 
All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Iniquity means wickedness. So transgression means I crossed the line and got out of order with God. Iniquity means I've walked in wickedness in my life. I've lived both of those. Verse 8, and toward the last part of it, he said, For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people was he stricken. In Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 6, it says, I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. Isaiah 52 and verse 4. These are so important. So his visage was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. I want you to go to Psalms 22 and I'll go there in a moment. When we read the Gospels, the Gospels say that they scourged him. They put a crown of thorns on him. They spit on him. And then they threw a robe on him, and they marched him out to Golgotha's hill. All of the Gospels related in the same manner. The Gospels do not come even close to what happened. So I want to take you through it today, as difficult as it may be. He was wounded. Because of my crossing the line. What does it mean for him to have been wounded? When Isaiah said he gave his cheeks to those who would pluck out the beard. First of all, they planted the crown of thorns. They didn't place it. When they stuck that crown on his head. They dug it into his skull, which separated the very skin and hair and caused it to lay over. And the thorns would scrape against the skull bones deep, deep within. When those Roman soldiers would get his beard, they would grab any of you guys with beards, just pull on it a little bit with your hand. They didn't do that. If they couldn't get a good hold, they would wrap a stick on it and wrap it up. And they would grab it and pull it. And when they pulled it, it would pull skin and all so that they laid bare his very jaws. His teeth were visible. To anyone who would look upon it. Because his jaws were ripped open. And they pulled it and they yanked it. He said I gave my back to those who would smite. When that Roman soldier would take that cat of nine tails. The scourge. Which was nine leather straps that had embedded in it. Pieces of, of glass and metal. And, and anything else they could get embedded into it. And he would lash out. Jesus was tied to a pole. 
We see him often down on his knees. He wasn't. He was tied with his hands up high so he couldn't fall. And they would lash him, and the lash would go around his back and into his chest. Now understand what I'm telling you. It would hit here and wrap around, and they didn't go over here and gently pull it out. When it hit here, they yanked it, ripping the very bone structure open and revealing his bones. They started on his back, went down his buttocks and down into his legs. He was torn open from front to back. His skin was laid bare and laid open. It was barely hanging on to his skeletal structure. Psalms 22 says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from my groanings? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime and you do not hear and in the night season and I'm not silent. This is from the cross. This isn't in the garden. The garden's been settled. This is on the cross. The psalmist, this many hundred years before, Spoke by the Spirit the very things that went on with Jesus on the cross. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted in you, delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am a worm and no man. A reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, this happened. You can read it in the gospel. He trusted in the Lord. Let him, God, rescue him, Jesus. Let him, God, deliver him, Jesus, since he delights in him. They were mocking him. Because Jesus had said, my father delights in me, so they're going to mock him. So if your father delights in you, what are you doing hanging on there? But you, God, are he who took me out of the womb. Remember what I read you in 139. You made me trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. <clears throat> they gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. Rome was ruled in this day by an emperor that was one of the most evil despots. Only thing is, is Nero followed him. This guy had a pedophile island off the coast of Rome. And all of the wealthy and all of the elites of Rome would go there. Rome in this day that we're talking about is much like Washington, D.C. in our day. Very much like Washington, D.C. in our day. Anything went in Rome 
except if you were going to preach Jesus. Now, the soldiers of Rome who were stationed in Israel had their souls vexed by the evil that came from the emperor down. From the top down, evil had vexed and messed with the whole of the world. Therefore, the Roman soldiers, except for a few like Cornelius the centurion and a couple others, were so demonized that when this all started taking place, the crucifixion, the demons began to build in rage in them. And they became like evil beasts, growling at him, spitting at him, surging themselves toward him. Beating, they didn't just slap him. They beat the daylights out of the already wounded and torn skin. How many of you remember what I read to you about why this was all happening? Anybody? Anybody remember why this was all going on? He was wounded for my transgression. Make it personal. He was bruised for my wickedness. He bore it all because of me. You see, because there was a righteous requirement of the law that said when found guilty, this would be the punishment. And when a law is set by God, it's never reversed. It can either be completed and fulfilled or it still stands. Can you understand that? Take a look at our system, the laws of Congress, the laws of the ridiculous that think they're wise, have filled the Library of Congress and many, many more libraries. They can't even get them all in there with massive amounts of ridiculous edicts and laws that in fact are still on the books today and if some local magistrate wanted to, could pull them out and enforce them. Now, it's possible that courts would throw it out, but if we're looking at it in the basis of us as Christians and they found some law against us, liberal judges wouldn't throw it out. They would celebrate the fact some idiot led by a demon found the right thing to come against us. This is true. You don't have to believe it, but it's a fact. But they were like raging bulls. They gaped at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. These were going on this way, not to mention the people of Israel who were shouting at him from the down at the bottom of the hill, screaming their raging and their vehement cursings and all that they did. And they were spitting and all of these things were going on. And he was in the middle of every bit of it while he was going from the, the praetorium in being led away carrying the cross. Can you imagine now? They had him carrying his own cross. They threw a robe on him. You know why they did that? Because there was no way that the people 
could see his whole body in that shape. They threw the robe on him. They planted that cross beam on him with all of that torn open flesh. And he began to carry it up to Golgotha. And the whole time he was doing all of this, you and me were on his mind. You and me were being held by his love. At any moment he could have stopped it all. But because of his love, knowing that if he didn't do this, we would suffer this. He held fast to his purpose and calling. He endured, and the Bible says in one place, even with joy looking ahead at what was going to happen. Why? Because remember, he knew before the foundation of the world that the end result of this, once he was through it all, was you and I would be with him with everlasting life. He knew it. So he endured it. And yet it's still our pain. It's still our sorrows. It was supposed to be us. It was supposed to be me. And Jesus said, no, I'll take your place. I read it to you. Before I was formed, it was already written. He knew what I was going to do. He knew how stupid I would be as a young man. He knew what I would do as an old man. And in his forbearance, he loved me still. He brought me through it all. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It was melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Remember what I told you about his bones being opened and revealed? I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O oh Lord, do not be far from me, O oh my strength. Hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. You. You have answered me. Jesus on the cross, when he cried out, it is finished, already knew he was going into hell. Already knew he was going to defeat death, hell, and the grave. Already knew once he was there. But you see, the only way he could get there was to follow the path that would gain him entrance. He could not be there as righteous Jesus. He could only go there as the ultimate sinner. Because God laid on him my iniquity. He could get in. 
to break free from bondage those who were held. Because of my life, his substitute power would be the very thing that would give him access to get into hell. He could not go there otherwise. He could only go as a point of judgment. So judgment said, this is your lot. Jesus said, I'll take it. He went into the pit. He walked into that place. Bible saying he led captive captivity. And he brought out the keys. And he handed them to you and me. And he said, this is it. He couldn't get there if it hadn't been for his love for me and you. He would have never been there had God not laid on him my sin, my place, my stuff. God said, I'm going to take you to freedom by him. And he laid on him my iniquity. He laid on him my transgression. He carried enough sin just from me to allow him access to hell. And yet he took it all from all of us for all time to complete the work to say it is finished! Wrapped in grave clothes. They had to just wrap him as best they could to pull his flesh up and hold it in place. Now think about this. Just to hold his body in place enough to put him in a tomb. They had to wrap him up. Remember, his face was torn apart. His body was ripped open. And they wrapped him and they put him in a tomb. How many of you remember what it said when he came out of that tomb? And he was standing there and she thought he was a gardener. face was all back together. His body was all back together. The only scars that could have been seen, they didn't see until he revealed them to Thomas. The only scars left were the ones in his hands, in his feet, and the hole in his side where the soldier had pierced him. In hell, he bought healing. And he took healing on his own body first. So that he could take sickness and disease that was from hell and defeat it in hell. Coming out of hell, whole, healed, free, delivered. My God, can anybody be happy? In hell, he had to defeat the bondage of mental illness. He had to defeat the bondage of depression. He had to defeat the bondage of all of these things. In hell, he whipped it all. And when he came out, he came out 100%. When he went into heaven and he was received as the final sacrifice, then he came back 100% don't even do it justice. He came back totally. But he had to go. And the only way he could go was in my place. The only way he could go was in your place. The only way he could get there was in your place because he knew no sin. 
There was nothing to judge him to be in hell. He had to take my place. The plan. The whole plan. The creation. The redemption. Was cared for and taken in. Because Jesus paid it all. My God. Colossians 1, or 2 rather. Verse 13, And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he, was, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, past, present, future. All are under the blood. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, both the requirements from the law of Moses and the requirements that came from Adam. Adam was not to eat of a tree. He transgressed. He ate. We have been living from the tree of knowledge of good and evil from that time forward, which is why our minds are vexed with sin consciousness when in fact they ought to be the freest brains, minds on the planet because there's no more consciousness of sin to those where there is no sin imputed. I'm not charged with sin anymore. I'm not charged with it anymore. I'm not charged with transgression. I've been freed in Jesus' name. Having, he has uh, those things which were contrary to us, taken it out of the way, nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. <sighs> My God. He made a spectacle. When we say we don't wrestle anything but, flesh, but, but principalities and powers, can you understand that we're in a fixed fight? He already triumphed over every principality. So when you talk about the principalities that have vexed Cape Girardeau, Missouri, I'm telling you, Christ Church of the Heartland, we're going to start standing up and we're going to make decrees that will scare the daylights out of the principalities of this region and pull them and put them in their place where they have always been determined to be. They are predetermined, defeated foes and it's time for us to act like it. We get all upset about laws that are being passed when they cannot mess with the people of God. You don't need a law to tell you to be righteous. You have the power of God through grace and His Holy Spirit to live righteous. I don't need a law to tell me do not. I have Holy Spirit within me strengthening me to walk in. The first great awakening from Martin Luther was the just shall live by faith. And it's taken hundreds of years for the American church to come close to understanding that. 
Oh, but thank God. We're there now. We're there now. Romans 4. And he talks about this thing about even when there was no law, therefore it wasn't imputed to us. It wasn't charged on our account. But he said, it shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. It's charged to our account that we're believers. Who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. The just shall live by faith. I've been raised into justification to live in the hope of his calling. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now let me tell you something about grace. I want you to get past the lame, limp-wristed mindset definition that grace is just unmerited favor. Oh, it's so much more. Grace is the absolute empowerment of the Holy Spirit dwelling within you by the name of Jesus Christ who is in you, the name above every name. Grace is the power of God within you. Grace is the glory of God manifested out of you. Grace is the strength of God keeping you up. Grace is the power of God carrying us through. Grace is the victory of God leading us into triumph. Grace is God's victory. Grace is our conquering force. Grace is in us by His strength and power. He brought us of his own accord, choosing us in himself to walk in this powerful, wonderful grace. My, 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 my. I'm going to need a nap, Sherry, when we're done. I hope you're getting something. Romans 8. Now, pastor always lands a jet. I've never flown one, so I don't know how to do that. So I'll try to close within the next 30 minutes. Unless I get real excited and then we'll just, you know. Verse 31 of Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? I'm going to ask you that question. So what then are you going to say to these things? This is what I just brought you. If God is for us, <laughs> end of story. Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son. Now listen to what I just said prior to this about not sparing his son. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? The scripture said he has given us all things 
that pertain to life and godliness. Let me say it this way. He's given us all things that pertain to life and God-likeness. Created in His image. Made in His likeness. Therefore given everything that pertains to living like Him. Oh, preacher, you're getting out there. You, I hope I can get further. I really do. So who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Isaiah 54, every voice raised against you in judgment, you shall condemn. Why? Because he's already taken care of it. If you're between your ears starts telling you you're something you're not, or you're less than God says you are, that's a voice raised against you in judgment. That's an accusing voice, even if it's in your own head. It's time to condemn it. It's time to cast it out. It's time to throw it down because he is in me. It is God who justifies. Now who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So first thing, God is for you. Second thing, God justifies you. Third thing we're going to read, who shall, oh no, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. He is our intercessor. By His Holy Spirit, He makes intercession for every time you open your mouth to pray in the Spirit. He is interceding on our behalf for whatever we need, even when we don't know what it is we need. That's why we're praying in tongues. We don't understand it. We don't know it. But He does, and His Spirit praying through us is interceding on our behalf in every situation and circumstance that is in our life. He is our intercessor. It's nice to have one another to pray for. I love it when somebody tells me they're praying for me. I like to tell them, you need to pray and I need to practice. If I'm praying for you, if you're praying for me, I need to pray and you need to practice. So we make a good team. But the reality is, if I don't have anybody to call, I call on the Lord. I call on Jesus. I call on my intercessor. I look to Him. I trust Him. He's going to bring me through. Praise God. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation. In essence, trouble. Distress. Persecution. Famine. Nakedness. Peril. Sword is written for your sake. We're killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet... And all these things. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors. More than conquerors through him who loved us. In essence, what Paul is trying to tell them in Rome, stop talking down and mealy-mouthing around. Oh, we're all killed all day. We're just like, they're going to raise the taxes. They're going to make it hard to buy groceries. They're going to come against They're going to hurt us here. They're going to hurt us. They're going to, they're going to. Stop it. Stand up and stiffen your back. 
Come alive like the man of God God created you to be. Began to determine no weapon formed against me will prosper. I have all sufficiency in Christ Jesus. You're not going to put me down. You're not going to slow me down. And you sure are not going to lock me down. Not another day. You want to invent another COVID? Invent it. I'm not bowing to your nonsense another moment of life. Well, they won't let me take ivermectin. Who cares? I take Holy Spirit. I take the blood of Jesus. I take the power of Almighty God. We're going to walk like we've never walked before. We're going to talk bolder than we've ever talked before. We're going to act like we're supposed to act. Holy Ghost-filled, power-driven, spirit-led people of Almighty God walking into the darkness and dispelling it with the light of the gospel. Everywhere we go, nothing shall separate me. Nothing, for I'm persuaded. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. I am fully persuaded that what he has started, he will complete. I like what Tim said in that message I'm telling you to listen to. Army angels and Holy Spirit haven't come to lose. <laughs> mm. Come on. They did not come to lose this battle. When God let them come out of heaven and they descended into this earth, He sent them here to win. He sent them here to conquer. When He sent His Holy Spirit into your life and mine, He put it in there so we will be more than conquerors. Overcomers in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you something. We are not here to lose this thing. We are here to take authority. We are here to take pack the power. We are here to move in the right manner. We are here to decree a thing and see it happen. We are here to declare the glory of God. We are here to declare the grace of God. We are here to declare the mercy of God. We are here to declare the power of God. We are here to display the glory of God. We are here to display God's power and God's love. We are here for a victorious church to rise up in power and strength, moving in His glory. Why is He shouting? I'm excited. I am absolutely lit with the glory of God. And it's time you get lit.